Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Here we are in that week after the first race where we went from all of the teams going, our car is the fastest, our car is the greatest, we're going to win, to a lot of teams looking around and going, what the heck just happened? <laughs> Truly, what the heck just happened is exactly the way we can sum up Melbourne. But before we get into any of the F1 stuff, got to ask you this question. Uh-oh. Do you remember Billy Munger? Do you remember who he is? Yeah. Or his his nickname, Billy Wiz. Mm-hmm. Okay. For those that don't remember who Billy Munger is, last year he was racing in the uh, form, the British Formula 4 championship at Donington Park, and there was a fairly horrific accident that occurred that resulted in him losing both of his legs. Yes. He returned to racing this past weekend. Really? He took part in the... Uh, first race of the BRDC Formula 3 championship season at Olton Park. Um, now, he does not have funding for a full season campaign. However, he took part in a race and ended up in third. Oh, my word. Now, does he have a specially modified car, or is he doing this with prosthetics? Um, well, what's been done he, uh, is he operates the throttle by using a paddle on the steering wheel while using his right prosthetic leg to operate a brake pedal. Um, he raised 850,000 pounds just to go toward his re- rehabilitation. Now, of course, he needs to come up with money to have a full campaign drive. But I think, seriously, I think third is amazing. All, I mean, Oh, yeah. Not just all things considered. Third is an amazing result. Period. (laughs) Full sentence, full stop. But the fact that, oh, wow, that's impressive. Yeah. I know they were talking about him as being really a great up-and-comer before his accident. So this is awesome. Yeah, he qualified in fifth. Um, He was .548 seconds behind the pole time um, and then managed to capitalize on contact between Clement Novalak and Krish Mahadik to end up in third place for the race. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, stunning. Uh, so let's see if he can continue to build on that. That, that could be an incredible story coming out of the, uh, the BRDC Formula 3 championship. It definitely could be, and he's definitely earning his uh, moniker of Billy the Wiz. Oh, Billy Wiz. Billy Wiz. Billy Wiz. Which so- is so much better than Stingray Rob. Except, well, that's his legal name. I know. That still raises me. Really? <laughs> like, how but, did you go to first grade and, uh, you know, Tom, present, Susie, present, Stingray? 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 <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, it, it is serving its point and serving its purpose. You are still talking about him. Well, I still see articles and stuff about him, too. Because he doesn't exactly suck. Well, yeah, and it makes the connection. And, of course, we will see him, I'm sure, when we go to mid-Ohio this year. So moving on to Formula One. First off, unfortunately, I I had it built out. I had it ready to go. And then you went away to Chicago for work. Um, But I had the post set with our results and selections for Australia um, 
unfortunately, you went to Chicago, and then, um, well, it turns out that the Formula GP or, or the Fantasy GP site in the previous two months managed to slash dot itself. <laughs> it true did, truly did. True old school internet reference right there. Yes. Um, what they did apparently, they were so popular that probably because of our extra promotion. Oh, certainly. Um, that as a result, as they approach Australia, they started to deal with some fairly significant performance problems. Well, yeah, one could expect that with the B&B bump. Yeah. Um, as a result of all of those performance, and, and they had to have been significant, either that or their hardware had to be really bad. They have been down since Monday or Tuesday of the past week doing software and hardware enhancements and rehoming the servers um, so that they do not have these problems for the rest of the season. I know. I've been trying to make my predictions for Bahrain and um, no they, such luck. They are scheduled to be returned to service on April 2nd and should be up for the rest of the season. But they believe that they have the issues nipped in the bud. But I guess the system was in a right state. <laughs> this is what happens when you try to run a website on an old Apple IIe possibly so i i do have some general standings because i did grab some stuff before prior to them going down um so in terms of the standings currently i'm in a lead woohoo yeah don't get used to it 100 I'm, well I'm, I'm up by 22 points yeah 22 points is nothing okay so yeah uh my team mock five racing with 154 points in the lead the Bird team in second with 132 points. Uh, Phil coming up in third with Team Rocket in 128 points. The Boy with his Moonlit Black Cats team at 105 points. And Captain Vector with the Fly Fast team at 70. But it's the okay, first race of the Captain season. Vector? It's the first race of the season. Well, I will have to defend Captain Vector for a second because he is so very new to Formula One. I think he only started watching like last year. So, so go, go Captain Vector. And, and I'll be honest with you, uh, the boys' results were not particularly impressive. He lucked out more than anything else to end up in those points. So I don't think he's going to be holding on to that position for very long. <laughs> Just saying. Now, He's I not will here, say that I, say I correctly um, predicted the number of cars that would finish the race. I just want that pointed out because you did not. I didn't, but I correctly predicted the winner and the second place finisher. Yeah, I did that not really correctly predict me. the third. I predicted pole position so and I. I picked the safety car. So did I. Um, did not predict fastest lap. The boy, on the other hand, he. Um, he predicted Hamilton for a winner, so I guess he got partial points as a nearly. That um, would have gotten then, because I had Hamilton to win. Then you get a nearly for that, which I don't know what the points difference are. And I, I, I would look, but I can't. Because so. I thought when I got my points summary, I only got the 18 points for second place. Um, you had a, a nearly for Hamilton as the winner. Um, or I'm sorry, this is the boy. Had a nearly for Hamilton as the winner, and he correctly predicted the safety car. Uh, but did not get any more information. See, I got the... Um, see, I did nothing well in the first, second, and third predictions for the race, but I got the pole sitter, I got the safety car, and I got the number of cars finishing the race. 
Um, I do not remember fastest lap, but I don't think I got. I don't remember who I predicted for fastest lap, but I don't think I got it. Well, Monday. We should know more on Monday. All right. So moving along. Um, Another group of folks who came out, you know, we had the teams, we had the drivers. We had the fans, especially the American fans, coming out of last weekend going, what the hell just happened? And it was not with regards to the actual racing in Melbourne. This was supposed to be, if you caught all the press releases and all the hype that, well, what little hype that ESPN had done. This was supposed to be the celebrated return of Formula One to ESPN where Formula One first started with live coverage in the United States. But they weren't actually going to do anything, any actual work for the coverage. They were just going to rebroadcast Sky's coverage. And we were very, very optimistic, possibly overly optimistic, that they wouldn't totally screw it up. Because how hard could it be? Well, except that the top exec at ESPN failed to notice one critical detail. Oh, it wasn't a top exec. It was the, okay, the, it was an intern. Thank you. But they failed to notice one critical detail. We have commercials and they don't. Well, there was more than just that. But that was one of the key problems that they ran into. Uh, well... Except even before you get to the race, the coverage started off terribly because for some reason, for the pre-race coverage, ESPN utterly failed to get the feed working properly. So first they launched with the straight, the raw world feed with no sound, no audio, nothing. 15 straight minutes of raw world feed. At some point, well, at some point they cut over to some ESPN sports programming that they had led into the whole thing with that was utterly unrelated. Then they come back to, to the sky feed because they figure that out, but still don't have volume. And then finally sort it out. So we got, what, maybe 10 minutes out of Sky's coverage? Well, and we already <clears throat> were getting abbreviated coverage because we only got 30 minutes of the, of the yeah. pre-race. And keep in mind, that's typically like an hour and a half at Sky. Mm-hmm. But... Even before that, if you want to get, like, really into it, we could talk about their qualifying coverage. Well, we, we spoke about qualifying last week. And qualifying, while not great, it wasn't bad. It was acceptable. Well, they did a couple of things right, mm -hmm. which is what gave us a lot of hope for the race. Because one of the things that they did right was they didn't cut to commercial during the qualifying sessions. Yes, which mimics the way Sky does it. And Sky has commercials. It's not that mm -hmm. Sky doesn't have commercials. They block them in certain ways. And then when they run the race, they don't run commercials in the race. Right. And because we're literally getting the rebroadcast of their coverage that doesn't have commercial breaks, they don't know that they're going to commercial break in the U.S. They don't care. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So there's no recap from a commercial break that at least NBC Sports... And how horrendous their coverage was. At least they knew enough that said, okay, you're coming back from a commercial break. Talk you got to recap what happened. happened. Now, what, what I really want to know, um, and, and I haven't seen stats on this, is compared to when NBC Sports was covering it, how long an NBC Sports break was compared to an ESPN break? Because it certainly felt longer. And it didn't help that a lot of the commercials were repetitive in the same break. 
but it felt longer than an NBC sports break, but I'm not sure because NBC's breaks also always seem to feel like they were ridiculously long. But here's the other piece of this. <clears throat> and I, while I was angry and ticked off about the commercials and really felt like, you know, we didn't get the good recaps. We didn't get anything that, you know, we dumped out. There was no color. Yeah, there was no color. There was like, we dumped out, we dumped back in. And because they do that split screen where they shrink everything down to tininess, you can't read the screen. And you know there's audio. And you that was the other thing is a couple of times when they dropped out, they either dropped out mid-sentence because the commentators didn't know, or they dropped out just as a radio call was starting. Well, there was that piece. But I was talking to my very own mother, who is also a Formula One fan, and her statement was, hated the coverage, everything that happened during the race happened in a commercial break. It, it felt is like, like it. they actually, they couldn't have timed it worse if they had tried. But key retirements happened during commercial breaks. Key things that happened during the race happened during commercial breaks. Yeah. It was like, you know, the intern's lackey wasn't even paying any attention. And it wasn't like key things weren't like building up to start to happen and they dumped, you know, it was getting boring. They dumped out to a commercial break. It was like things were starting to happen. They dumped to a commercial break. All the stuff happened. And then by the time we eventually made it back from a commercial break, it was all over again. Yeah. Now, I personally reached out to ESPN. This is not actually a fib. I did. Um, I did it on their social media site. Mm-hmm. Um, my post to them was and led with, you had one job and you couldn't do that. We have since seen that they have apologized. Yeah, they did apologize, but what's not clear is what they were apologizing for. It was not clear whether they were apologizing for the entire raging debacle that was their coverage <laughs> Or if they were just apologizing for the hot mess that was pre-race. And nor was there any sort of resolution to understand that this is so not a good answer for Formula One coverage. And you have to, you have to believe that Liberty Media had an absolute fit. Well, see, that's one of the questions that, that has been raised, and i got to kind of wonder about this is that on one hand, I would think Liberty would be absolutely livid, being an American company trying to grow the sport in the United States. They have proclaimed that that is one of the things that they are really trying to do. On one hand, I would think that they are livid. On the other, i got to kind of wonder if they actually were okay with it. I can't imagine that they were okay with it. But remember the other thing that that they are feverishly working on. Oh, their own. Their own over-the-top thing to bypass ESPN's coverage. And that was the reason why they ended up on ESPN and NBC Sports did not want to renew. Because NBC Sports didn't want a competitor coming from Formula One to provide broadcast coverage. So if ESPN is terrible and it pushes them over to 
the Formula One app for coverage that way. When that finally goes live, that's the problem. That if you could piss be off enough people. That's the in risk. the process. That is the risk that you're having. Yes, it could ultimately aid the Formula One app when it is available, but you've got this narrow window of fair weather fans that are going to go, we don't have good coverage, I'm done. I'm guessing that Formula One is okay with that gamble, just knowing the fact that being the first race of the season and that when if you're going to catch it live, you're going to catch it live at uh, on East Coast time, you know, one thirty in the morning, that's a diehard fan to begin with already. Well, see, that's the problem is the people that are going to find F1 via the app is a much smaller, find yes. F1 via an app, is a much smaller pool. The first experience that they're going to have is with that ESPN coverage. Mm-hmm. If you're going to grow the base, you actually have to have somewhat semi-decent coverage. It doesn't have to be off the charts, but it has to be good enough to catch somebody's attention that they want to learn more. And I can tell you that if that was my first experience with F1, it would not be a want-to-learn-more situation. Yeah, so we'll see what plays out and if they manage to to sort out this mess and in what way. Um, Regardless, I think we got to the end and I said, that's it, we're not watching them again. (laughs) Um, We're going to be going and investigating whether it'll be continuing to follow Channel 4, which, by the way, is going to be live for Race 2, or possibly a Now TV subscription. One or the other. We will uh, we'll have to keep you updated as to how we achieve coverage. So towards the end of the race, and I know we're going to jump around a little bit because we always do tend to jump around a little bit. Towards the end of the race, there was this really odd radio message that came across from Carlos Sainz, which I don't have, unfortunately, to play for you. But Can we blame the craptastic coverage from ESPN for that? Absolutely. Excellent. Thank you, ESPN, for screwing that up. Carlos Sainz radioed to the team that he was struggling with his stomach, that he's got a lot of nausea from the water. Ew. It was really odd, the call. Well, we found out what happened. And, and it, it, it kind of it seemed like, or at least my thought was that he was probably going to drop out of the race. But he finished. He finished in 10th. Um, but we found out what happened. Apparently, there was the, the way the drink system works, yes, it's the itty-bitty little bottle that we hear about, but there is actually a pump that pumps the water up to the driver. The pump got stuck on. Oh, my word. So he's like... So it kept pumping water at him. He said he struggled a lot because from lap one, he had a drink tube pumping water into his mouth, and he had to drink it until he noticed he was just getting full of water in his stomach. He said, I got a bit of a digestion problem because the amount of water that I had in my stomach going from side to side in the corners with the G-force, and I was just not feeling good because of it. At some point, he said he managed to remove the tube from his mouth, but all that really did was just spray water at him, which was even more of a distraction. Oh, my word. Poor guy. Yeah. As somebody who definitely gets motion sickness really, really easily— And having had to learn that you actually control intake of water, it's one of the things that you do. You make sure you you have food in your stomach, but you control the intake of water so it doesn't slosh around in your your stomach. I can only imagine how miserable that poor guy was. Ugh. 
poor Carlos. I'm sorry, bud. Feel your pain. He said, at some point, I just tried to make it to the finish because I was nearly vomiting under the safety car. Um, when you have good pace the whole weekend and suddenly this problem happens in the race, it's a bit unfortunate. I think there's no fault for anyone. It's just an unfortunate situation, and we'll learn from it. Yeah, you gotta, guys, you got to <laughs> fix the pump and the, the drinks bottle. Yeah. This is why Lewis does not have a drinks bottle anymore. I don't know if that's still the case. I hope he's like. I, I think Lightning McQueen has figured this out. <laughs> Speaking of Lewis, there's been a lot of conversation about the results of the race and how it ended. Everything from, um, you know, the, the expected stuff about how th- this, that Seb didn't deserve to win and. This wasn't a real win to, yes, there was even the conspiracy theorist posting out there that this entire scenario was planned and that somehow the fix was in and that Charlie Whiting, because the race wasn't going very well and there was so few passing, that Charlie Whiting had gone down to Haas and had Haas screw up the tire issues so that they could pull out the safety car and mix stuff up. I wish I was kidding. Well, I knew that the conspiracy theorists would be going like tinfoil hat overtime because Haas is basically the all Ferrari junior team. Yeah, we're going to get to that too. And, you know, here their screw up was the one, you know, totally advantage Ferrari. And how do you know that Sergio Marchione did not pick up the phone and call Gene Haas and go, dude, I need some help here. But why would he have done it twice unless because the first time he didn't get his virtual safety car, so they had to send Grosjean out to go park in the wrong spot. I mean, I just, I mean, we were talking about it right after the race. I'm like, the conspiracy theorists are going to go off the charts. Yeah. I predicted right after the race that we were going to start having this discussion about advantages gained during a virtual safety car because that's what happened. And and there and I think there will be and there should be. We haven't had any yet so far this week, but I think that's going to be discussions that are coming because yes, under a safety car you can pit, you can do specific things to the car. But the fact that once you get off the the track, and when I say off the track, I mean into that pit lane entrance, the safety car, even a virtual safety car restrictions, completely go out the window until you hit the pit and the, the pit lane start line. And then the same thing when you hit the pit lane exit line until you get to the safety car line at the end of the pit exit, those restrictions go out the window. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, I do know, and don't tinfoil hat me, please. I do know that there was commentary that got mentioned at the end, towards the end of the race, that this is something that Ferrari has suffered from, like a virtual safety car in a previous mm-hmm. race a couple a year or so ago. Um, they wound up suffering from this, and they they really did examine the rules that if this ever happened again, this was something that they could leverage for their advantage. On mm-hmm. that front, I will have to give Ferrari some really good points because this is what formula one racing is it is about looking for the edges the grays the the way to twist rules to your advantage and they did that and they they went after the fact that the pit lane is not part of the track and it said specifically you can't gain an advantage on the track that said 
I think that that's not following within the spirit of the rules. But there was something else that happened. And I think that's where you're headed, right? Well, yeah, I, I got a couple of different things. One of the questions that was asked going this week from one of the fans is, you know, okay, if these – and I'm mentioning because I'm sure somebody's thinking this already. If the restrictions go away around the pit lane under a virtual safety car, why not just turn around and say, hey, screw it, I'm going to hop in and, and run through the pit lane and make up some time that way? It doesn't quite work that way. Um, for starters, the rules say that if you enter the pit lane, unless you're specifically getting a drive-through penalty, you have to stop in your box for service. So, yeah, that could be two seconds, but you have to stop in the box for service. Once you do that, and, and even if you had to do a drive-through, the actual pace is slower. So you're not gaining an advantage. It just happens to be that the way this window worked and that they were close enough that it worked out that Seb got the lead because of it. And it was close. If there was a slight glitch in that pit, I mean, he wouldn't have gotten it. was dependent on a perfect pit stop. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not simply a matter of, oh, we'll just go race through the, the pit lane and, and screw the virtual safety car. So I wanted to get that out of the way. But Mercedes has acknowledged that it was a software issue, that their calculations were wrong regarding the gap. So Andrew Shovlin, um, in a video who was released by the, that was released by the team, and, and Andrew is a trackside, he is the trackside engineering director. He said, the issue isn't exactly with the race strategy software use. He says, it was an offline tool that we created these Delta time lapse with, and we found a bug in that tool that meant that it gave us the wrong number. The number that we were calculating was around 15 seconds. In reality, the number was slightly short of 13 seconds. So, so that was what created our delta. That was where we thought we were safe. We thought we had a bit of margin, and obviously you saw the result. We dropped out, and we were in second place. It's very difficult to overtake, and we couldn't get through. The other thing, though, is that because their numbers were off, they weren't sure what they they didn't have the correct data as to what the, the target speed needed to be for Lewis. They actually could have had him push harder than he did, not just before the safety car period, but after the safety car period when he was trying to catch Seb. And we know he turned it up to a point, but apparently he could have turned it up more. Yeah. Um, there were a couple of things that Mercedes has come out with that has um, made me question um, if there's not somebody that is being demoted or losing their job based on maths alone. Um, because they're talking about some deltas that they did not know. Are there bugs in programs? Did somebody not use their calculator correctly? Um, you know, all of those key components. But it's another further proof. Um that all of racing is a team sport. All of this stuff is team. And math is so critical to this stuff. You know, you want to, and I think sometimes our minds really wrap around this idea of it's man and machine. And you kind of get this idea that this isn't a cerebral sport. And it so is. It and it's all of the various data points that the teams are, are, are looking at here. Um, 
he goes further to talk about how in the lead up to this incident and what had occurred, um, he said, the simple answer is that we could have pushed the car harder. At this point of the race, we were still following a fuel profile that meant we were having to do some saving with fuel. Mel Melbourne's a very difficult race to do that on a 105-kilogram limit. And also, we were being a bit cautious with the tires because the team thought that we were safe anyway. We thought that Seb was going to come out behind us. We weren't telling Lewis to push any harder. That's really one of the big frustrations we have coming away from Melbourne is that the car was clearly clicked quick enough to win the race. If we'd managed the race differently, we could have won it. But at this point, we were lulled into this false sense of security, and we didn't have Lewis driving as fast as we could. And I think that that's a very critical thing. I think this is one of those things where you have to understand how important the communication and the maths are. These guys are not driving flat out because the rules say they can't. And, you know, there's going to be an uproar about the fact that they were managing for fuel, but that's part of the game. That's part of the rule set. Um, the other thing that I wanted to remind everybody is this is one of those things where you often think of car guys as not being the cerebral guys in math class in high school. And yet they turn around and remember what's running this sport are the pocket protector set and the calculator <laughs> set. This is stay in school, guys. <laughs> Learn your yeah. maths. Data science and all of that. I mean, it all comes into play with us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Australia, and I didn't know this stat because I might have predict done predictions a little bit differently if I had known this, but I didn't know this stat. Australia has, like, in the last 10 years, only two or three pole sitters have won the race. It is not a track that is known for a pole sitting advantage. It's you, weird. Yeah, I'd have to look at that. But that was one of the things that's one of the few data points that I got from this guy's coverage that was not in a commercial. <laughs> Just suggesting that. But when I heard that, and this was well before the race turned from Lewis to Seb, mm -hmm. it was all of those things. I sat in that seat and said, Lewis isn't going to win. When they said that stat, I was like, that's it. I predicted wrong right there. <laughs> I knew there'd be a safety car. I knew, you know, you know certain things. You know, it's like Singapore. There's a 100% guarantee of a safety car. Yeah. Um, the, the only question is, is it going to be just one or is it going to be more than that? It's how many. It's not if. Um, but the fact that you've got years of experience that says pole sitters don't win. Um, you know, it's, it's the opposite of the Monaco thing that's like, get pole. Yeah. Pretty much as long as you don't screw it up, you're going to win that race. So... Speaking of the winner and Sebastian Vettel, you know, for most of that race, the whole, especially the entire time he was sitting in third, he wasn't really having an impressive run at it. He really wasn't. And I don't know if you've been watching the new Formula One app. I have not been, only because I've been burned enough times by it spoiling race results for me that I don't look at it too closely anymore. I did check it to see if the, the TV was live yet, which it's not. Um, um, they have introduced a new feature for 2018, okay. which is actually very fascinating. And I wish I, I'm encouraging people to go after a race. Once you know the results to go seek it out because about a day after the results, they are doing something called power ranking. Mm -hmm. And what they are doing is they are distilling the race 
And regardless of the way the race ended, they're ranking the drivers based on their actual drive. Okay. From one to ten. Okay, Autosport does that too. I mention this only because your statement about Seb did not have an impressive drive, even though he won the race. They ranked him in the power ranking at 10th. Well, oh, at 10th. At 10th. I thought you They said that nine other drivers drove better than he did in Australia. Now, I should mention their number one driver was Kevin Magnuson. And, you know— We'll we'll get to that in a bit. When they explained it, I was like, wow, that's really good. So it really does not have anything to do with the race results. It is truly about the way they're driving in comparison to the other drivers. We'll get get to that in a bit in in the Haas situation. I strongly recommend that you read that particular article. It's called Power Rankings um, by Race. Um, Seb admits that he was not a threat for the win. (laughs) Um, It was a lucky break with the safety car, but he also says that um, they were looking at strategies, and this did come into their calculations. He said they had the freedom in P3 to do a little bit, or in position, in third place, to do a little bit what they wanted because he wasn't a threat to first, and he wasn't a threat to second. He wasn't a threat to Lewis or to Kimmy. So it allowed them to play. Um, he said they stayed out and waited for something to happen, and sure enough, something did. Um, he said there's been plenty of examples of when people didn't do that and settled for the safer option, in this case Mercedes, stayed out and got a reward at the end. He admits that this was not a walk in the park, that Lewis did challenge him, although I'll be honest with you, because of the nature of the cars and the circuit, it wasn't much of a challenge. Right. Um, yeah, he, he got close, but he never got closer than half a second. Um, but... Yeah, they lucked out. Well, it's kind of refreshing to hear Seb, Seb, who has an ego the size of most small towns, um, state that he got lucky. That is not something that Seb normally says. Yeah, he said, for sure the result today, we got a bit lucky with the virtual safety car, but overall our pace was strong, but not as strong as it has to be to fight for victory in normal conditions. Did he actually start that with for sure? He did. That's a whole That was why I use that is because and he does use for sure. That's so Nico Rosberg. <laughs> it's it's German drivers in general. The German drivers use for sure a lot. I'm sure that they do, but Nico is so barely German. He is <laughs> he is so Monaco. He he's he's kind of Austrian. Kind of. Kind of, but, you know, he's really a Monaco boy. Yeah. Anyway. So, it as it stands right now, it does, yes, Ferrari won the race, but they're not confident that they can truly challenge Mercedes. And I don't know how much of that's sandbagging, but, yeah. And there's some pundits out there that are saying... Yes, they won, but we don't necessarily see this being a trend that continues. Well, the, to, to also temper the, the expectations here, you know, there was a lot that was made about McLaren's result mm-hmm. and where they ended up. And, yes, fifth is the best result for McLaren in Australia in, well, since Magnuson's podium back in 2014. Yes, that's true. But if you t- look a little deeper, 
you look at what actually happened and where Fernando was compared to the fourth place car. He was 20 seconds back. Mm -hmm. That's not so impressive. Yeah. And the reality was, if it wasn't for losing the two Haas cars, we'd be talking about a seventh and an eighth. Or a seventh, well, we'd, we'd be talking about a seventh because Stoffel probably wouldn't have been in the points at that point. So that's not nearly as impressive. Well, yeah, and you cannot discount the fact that his great result, can't argue the fact that it was a great result, mm -hmm. he didn't do that on his own. He gained position based on some other things that were happening. You know, Botas was out of place. Yeah. Um, that didn't help. That, that didn't hurt Fernando, but it did not help the fact that the cars were not in the places they should have been. Both Haas's retired. A double DNF is awful for Haas. Um, people were not where they were supposed to be, which led to other people being higher up. I mean, we had a the best finish for Sauber. I mean, Sauber had a, this amazing day. Well, Sauber to be having that conversation is the same thing. Yeah, and, and it wasn't really all that was amazing. They ended up in front of the Hondas. I mean, come on. Yeah. Let, 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 let's be real here. But um, they, they ended up in front of somebody. <laughs> that's true. Now, um, McLaren says that they did not bring all of their planned upgrades to Australia, that the failures that they had in testing and before testing delayed the the uh, introduction of some of those upgrades. So there are more upgrades coming for Bahrain. Oh, good. So we'll see where that goes. Now, I over have to say that Papaya and Blue looked fabulous on the track, by the way. It, it does. It, they just really need pretty. more sponsors because the side of that car looks desolate. I understand that, but it pops against the gray track. It I does. I mean, it just it does. is pretty. So Haas. Haas. Haas was having... A really fantastic day until it all went wrong at the same time. <coughs> I know. How was it the same gun that had the same problem or was it two different guns? It wasn't. The first one that happened, which happened on Magnuson's car, was the left rear tire. Um, and the mechanic that, it, and we don't know exactly how this played out. The mechanic who was involved obviously knew it was a problem right away because he crossed his hands as the car was headed out and then ran off upset. And they showed us this. Um, what happened a little later, and I think we were in commercials, so we barely saw what the heck had gone on, um, was Grosjean came in a lap or two later, uh, possibly as a result of the, the yellow flags that had come out for Magnuson's issue, that was his front left tire. Okay. But the same problem. So due to these being tagged as unsafe releases, uh, the team got fined 5,000 euros for each event. So a total of 10,000 euros for losing both of their cars. Um, the stewards ruled that the car was released in an unsafe condition in breach of Article 28.13.C, that the team ordered the car stopped immediately, and that the driver stopped as fast as he safely could. Um, but the downside was that we were talking a fourth and a fifth for Haas. Wow. I mean, it was a great performance. There was a lot that was made um, 
folks caught uh, Roman Grosjean post-race um, in the paddock area. He cornered one of the mechanics, assuming I'm, I'm assuming it is the mechanic who was responsible for his failure. And there is video and pictures of him consoling the mechanic. Oh. And uh, I think it was Kevin who came out and said that, you know, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it's incredibly disappointing. But it's race one. You know, it's moments like that that it, it's 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 the heart of the sport to me. It's one of the reasons why I can continue to follow it because there are so many times when you know that these drivers their egos are, are their egos are big. You don't get in a car and risk your life going around a track like that without the ego to drive you. It, it, you know that's the case. Yeah. But when they stop and they turn around and they wrap their arms around the mechanic that failed them or they console a teammate or they do the right thing, um, extending their arm to say congratulations to their fellow teammate who beat them, those are the moments when you're like, they're human and they're real and – that's an important thing. And it also, I think, shows how much Grosjean has really grown up. Yeah, Grosjean said if the car is as good today, if the car is as good as it was today, over 21 races, we're going to forget that one very quickly. If it's not the case, that one's going to be painful. But anyway, we will analyze everything and come back stronger as we always do. So Gunther Steiner commented on what happened. He said, the weekend was very tense for us. We had some issues in free practice one and two. We, don't, we didn't have a lot of spares, so we didn't do a lot of pit stop practice. And that could be one of the reasons. It was just a bad pit stop. The wheel nut got on wrong, and it was cross-threaded. We couldn't catch it early enough. You work in a 2.5-second window to do this, and we were very unlucky. We had on the wheel gun the same guys as last year, which never missed it. So it was one of these things. We need to work harder on it, more practice. When we get to Bahrain, start as quick as possible practice there, and the guys can boost their confidence. He says they need to keep their confidence. It's a freak accident. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, poor guys. Now, with Haas ending up and driving as strong as they did to start the race and, and be running in fourth and fifth. Some teams are a little upset. <laughs> Why are they upset? Is it because they're a Ferrari junior team? Well, that's the argument is that they're getting an unnatural advantage because of the amount of parts that they're using from Ferrari. And there have been allegations that this is a Ferrari clone and that Ferrari is assisting the team more than they actually should be able to. It's okay. the allegation because it's this idea of, you know what, this is a team that's three years old. Three years they shouldn't be up where they are, which, really? Well, I'm sorry. If I was going to own an F1 team, in three years I'd like to see some return on my investment, and I don't know how Sauber keeps it going. Well, there, there's that. There's also um, 
one of the groups that, that the, the boy and I hang out with and, and work with, folks complain about some of the systems that are being used and some of the things that happen. And the guy who owns everything, his response is, well, do better. <laughs> everything is working like it's supposed to. You need to do better. And, and that's kind of what my feeling is toward these teams that are upset about Haas is, you know what? They have figured out how to improve their car. They have figured out how to make it run better and be more competitive. They have upped their game. Now up yours. <laughs> but the thing is, they are violating no rule. No. Everybody has gone back to the rule book. I mean, again, we go back to half the game of Formula One is pushing the boundaries of the rules. They've violated no rule. They have done what they're supposed to do. Ferrari is not embedded in their team telling them how to run everything or they'd be third. Well, the, I mean, the, that's the reality. If they were that embedded, they would be right behind Ferrari. The, the other thing, Kevin Magnuson has talked about this too, and, and he reminds everyone that um, Delara provides a significant amount of parts for the team. Um, they, they do the chassis. They do a bunch of other development work for the team. A lot of the stuff, most of the stuff that – um, doesn't come from Ferrari and like the brakes and things like that. Delara supplies. Um, and Kevin says that they're getting better every year. They had a lot of parts problems with Delara and a lot of their issues were being traced back to them. Delara has kind of figured stuff out and the stuff is more more reliable. It's clear it's cleaner. It's a better quality. They're getting better parts in general because this partnership is better. Right. So that's what it's supposed to do. <laughs> By definition, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I, I think this is noise because it's easier to go after them than anything else. But that's why we're not talking too much about it. There's always noise with Formula One. I mean, somebody's doing better than you. They're cheating. Somebody that's doing worse than you, um, they suck. I mean, that's the way this works, right? Yeah. Um, over at Williams, another disappointing thing. So Lance Stroll, um, he finished 14th out of the 15, 15 finishers. So actually, I, I was wrong. Um, Sauber ended up ahead of Williams, too. That's got to hurt. Well, Lance has said at this point that the team is not racing. They're just struggling to survive. Mm. Um he says, we're not racing out there at the moment. We're surviving. The first lap, he had a mode problem. He was in the wrong mode, so he had no deployment. And then from there onwards, they struggled with pace. The car wasn't cooperating the way he wanted to, and the balance was all over the place. Um, they couldn't. They were having issues managing temperatures. And then from there, he just had to back off. He couldn't race the car. It was just get it home. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then you hop over to... Again, an incident that occurred under commercial conditions. <laughs> I believe what was happening is out on the tra- and, and it was hard to tell because the screen was tiny. But I believe the marshals were waving the flag with the TV on it to let everybody know, hey, we were in a commercial. You're not supposed yeah. to break down. William screwed that up because they, they, they dismissed the commercial flag. <laughs> oh, I thought that they the, the rule was they waved the commercial flag and then all the stuff was supposed to happen because that's the way that entire race happened. Well, that that was it. They, they dismissed the, the commercial flag. The commercials do fun stuff. Yeah. Well, Sergei Sorotkin made it just five laps uh, before having to 
head off down the runoff at turn 13 because his brakes overheated. What Williams believes happened, they're not 100% sure, but they are fairly certain that what has happened is that it was a sandwich bag that caused the problem. Oh. Yeah. I guess Lance, a lap or two earlier, had gone through the area and called that there was some trash flying around, that there were some bags flying around. Well, one of those bags got sucked into the brake intake for Sergey's car, and it overheated and destroyed the brakes. Oh. Yeah. All right. Whoever that fan was that littered, you're in trouble. Yeah, we'll see where that work, where that goes. Um, Williams acknowledges that there are some problems with the car. Um, Claire says that any ambitions that we may have had, I'm not saying that we did, to be fighting in the top three are probably a little bit far from us. But that's <laughs> our responsibility. We need to make sure we quickly get on top of the weaknesses in the race car that we have and bring developments over the coming races. We've got a huge development package for Barcelona, and we'll have to wait and see where that puts us. Now, keep in mind, we got a ways before we get to Barcelona. That's that's some time. Because... It's like it four races away, at least. Yeah. Because we're going to Bahrain, then to China, and then I believe... Then it's to Russia, and then Barcelona. That's going to be some time. Yeah. Where does Azerbaijan fit into that? Does that happen before we hit Bar uh, Barcelona? Um, no. I don't believe so. I don't have the calendar up in front of me. That's, I don't have the calendar in front of me either. And then there was the Honda. Again, occurring while we were on a commercial flag. <laughs> Pierre Gasly had to fall out of the race after 13 laps after uh, an MGUH problem. Now, we don't know too much more other than there was an MGUH problem. Um, Pierre Gasly was really kind of upset because, you know, they went through testing and didn't blow up a single engine. But uh, they were still down at the bottom. Yep. And, and that, I think, but was... We knew that they weren't going to turn up the engines just yet, too. So that's also part of this problem. Yes and no. I mean, I would have expected, you know, given everything that we were seeing and everything that we had heard and all this talk about how, yeah, the performance is there, we just don't have the reliability yet, and that we finally got this sorted out, and then you go through testing and you run the second highest number of laps without any kind of engine problems, I would have thought they would have at least turned the engine up a little bit, and they were nowhere close. Mm. I mean, they didn't get out of... Uh, Q1. They were nowhere close to getting out of Q1, and they just dinked around in the back. <sighs> I just, I don't see it. Yeah. It's a rebuilding year. Now, Honda says that they have much in the pipeline to improve this package and is determined to prove the doubters that it can properly operate at this level. And they say that by the end of the season, their big, big plan for development in 2018 will show everyone that they can do proper engines in Formula One. Where have we heard this song before? <laughs> Back when they were at McLaren? I mean, this is just like 2017, 2016, 2015 all over again. I know. It's a rebuilding year. It's a rebuilding year. 
You, you, you can't have a rebuilding year if you didn't even have anything built in the first place. You could try to tell the Cleveland Browns that, but it doesn't seem to work that way. Again, as I keep telling you, be nice to the Browns. This is a rebuilding century. I understand that. These things take a while. No. Not this long. I mean, when the Bears fans are making fun of us, I think we have to have a, a, a moment. Okay. Yeah, like uh, this past week when I was in Chicago and I was at lunch and they looked at me and they said, so does anybody even go to the games anymore? Like, is there a reason to go to the games? Well, I think some of the diehard fans stopped going towards the end of last season, but Cleveland Browns fans, we've talked about this before, even when they suck, they're dedicated. Well, I understand that, and I mentioned that, and they said, yeah, but if you go that far that long, there gets to be a point where you just stop. You know, like, win a game before you, you do that. And one of the guys I was with was mentioning that, you know, at least last year we said, well, we couldn't get any worse than this, and then we did it. Yeah. So now they're pretty sure it can't get any worse than a zero-win season. But it- if it's possible – the Browns will achieve it. It it is possible, and this is not a football show <laughs> because you know next to nothing about football. I know you know less about football than I do, so we're not going to talk about football anymore. <laughs> I was talking what we're going to talk about centuries. what we're going to talk about is Valtteri Botas and his really really disappointing weekend. Yeah, what happened to my buddy Val- Valtteri? Um. Well. As expected, he ended up pretty far back on the grid. Started the race in 15th because of the the wreck and then needing a new gearbox, giving him a five-place grid penalty. Right. Um, he made a little progress, not a whole lot. Um, I was really stunned about his lack of progress. I kind of figured he'd shoot right through some people. Well, he did to a point. He, he moved up a bit. He, he ended up down an eighth so he moved up seven positions but that still put him behind oh the Renault powered cars and everybody else a lot of it has to do with now now Mercedes and Valtteri says that they were having cooling issues from following folks and and because of that he couldn't push as hard as he liked I think there's other issues um the biggest problem is the the best estimate that anybody has, and it seems to be fairly standard for this generation of cars, is that in order to pass in Melbourne, you need to have anywhere between two to two and a half seconds on the car ahead of you. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of pace. Valtteri doesn't have that. N- nobody really has that. Right. And I think that, more than anything else, is the true limiting factor over at Albert Park. Um, and we'll talk a little more about that in a bit, and passing and, and that issue. Um, Helmet Marco is really upset over the engine mode situation. Oh. We've heard a lot of talk. What they've called it this year is party mode. Party mode. Party mode over like on the Mercedes. special lights. 
and I think that's why they, you know in previous years they called it the 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 magic mode or the qualifying mode. I've heard it called qualifying mode a lot. Now now it seems to be party mode is, is the year for this year, and it's that ability that um, Mercedes has sometimes admitted that they. Ha- I don't think they've admitted this year that they can do it. They've admitted it in previous years. They pioneered this idea that they have a special mode on their engine for qualifying. Just for qualifying. And and that is what some of the allegations are around the oil burning, is that the burning of the oil in the Mercedes supports the qualifying mode or the party mode of the engine to give it more power. Um, Renault has not built a mode like that. We don't know if Ferrari has. Nobody's saying whether or not they have. I thought they said something this year that they thought Ferrari was at least considering it. Yeah, there, there's been some talk about it. Well, Red Bull, Red Bull says that that they're calling it party mode for starters. Um, he says that normally Mercedes doesn't need it, but now they're they're using it, and it's obvious that they're playing with everybody because of the pace. Now, again, this this I goes call back sour to, grapes. This goes back to my earlier comment. Mercedes has figured out how to do better. They must be cheating. (laughs) Mercedes has upped their performance, now up yours. But that's the way, and Christian Horner, and so it does not surprise me. Well, this is Helmet Marco. I I was going to say, Christian Horner is the king of this, Mm -hmm. and thus it does not surprise me that Helmet is like right on the same bandwagon. But this idea of... Oh, they're doing better than us? They must be cheating. Or they must, you know, they can't have whatever it is that they figured out. Makes no sense to me. Because you know as well as I do, if Red Bull had figured something out. Like, oh, the blown exhaust in 2012? The blown exhaust. And they dominated because of that Mm -hmm. they've got some arrow they had that flexible arrow thing that was well no they were accused of it they weren't they they never failed the deflection tests but they were accused of running flexing arrow which is prohibited which is prohibited but it wasn't always prohibitive and i thought that they had they were one of the first ones that did flexing arrow. that might be before they prohibited it but i mean they've done all of this stuff They've got some of the best arrow on the on the grid. They've now shrunk their side pods. That's their latest mm-hmm. piece. They're doing all sorts of things. If one of those things gives them an advantage, you know full well they're going to be out there and go, see, we're very smart. Mm-hmm. See how smart we are? Like Just because Mercedes is dominating this era doesn't mean that you will never dominate again. Get over yourself. Well, Work closer with your engine manufacturer to develop this. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's not the philosophy that your engine manufacturer wants, as the works, oh, wait, that's right. You're not the works team anymore because you screwed that up. Right. But you'll get a Honda someday. <laughs> Maybe Honda will give you party mode. Yeah. Can you imagine? It's probably got karaoke. Ouch. I have to have one, at least one zinger in the entire show. Well, the good news from, from, you know, with all the issues with passing, the good news is that this year's race in Australia had more than double the amount of passes than last year. Wow, that's awesome. There were five. (laughs) Do the math. Yay! All of those passes occurred? Under safety car. In the first lap. 
Oh. There were no passes under safety car. You're not allowed to pass under safety car. Vettel passed Hamilton under safety car. Yes and no. Oh, they don't consider it a pass because right because it was in the cha- pit and, and changed positions. Yes, because technically under safety car you're not allowed to pass. So the positions that change under a safety car period because you have pitted don't normally count as so, a pass. So there were position changes that happened outside the first lap. They were not considered passes. Right. Wow. Yeah. So. Formula One is finally, Ross Braun in particular is finally acknowledging that, um, yeah, maybe this isn't working and this isn't a great idea what we're doing right now. Um, He has called overtaking the vital ingredient that was missing from the race in Melbourne. He said, it's vital that the cars are capable of getting close to one another and racing wheel to wheel. When there is only a small gap between two cars, then it's almost impossible for the pursuer to get close enough to mount an attack. We saw that with Hamilton and Vettel, Verstappen and Magnussen, and again with Magnussen and Alonso, and with Ricardo and Raikkonen. Think of how much wheel-to-wheel racing we missed out on. And for the very first time, we even had a third DRS zone specifically to increase the chances of overtaking. Yeah. And it didn't work. He says that this is one of the things that they're looking at for the uh, the rules revamp coming in 2021 that they really want the drivers to fight one another on the track. Um, So the FIA and F1 are carrying out an aerodynamic research program with two car models, both in the wind tunnel and using computational fluid dynamics, CFD, um, to evolve a car design that achieves close close to the level of performance they now see, but permits wheel-to-wheel action. I think that'd be awesome. You know... what amazes me is it's this attitude of, wow, we didn't know that this was going to happen and that this was going to work out this way. And even the folks that don't know a whole lot about Formula One and aerodynamics are like, duh. I know. We told you this was going to happen. When you, when you switch away from mechanical grip, you don't get the passing abilities and the ability to race closely well it's more than just that um daniel ricardo says that it's not just all the arrow it's more than just that they made the cars wider this year (laughs) yeah it's one of the things that he said and and he expects that passing is going to go down even more he said the biggest challenge is that with the wider tires and the wider cars, obviously they already take up a lot of space on the track, but it makes it harder for them to even find clean air and that there are now parts of the track where they can't get any clean air because the cars are so dang wide. Well, that doesn't help. And then you start looking at some of the thin, the skinnier tracks, you're going to have even less pressing on those tracks. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we have to remember, and let's go back to when you pull the fans for what they want, they want things like, we want better racing. We want guys to be able to go flat out. We want passing. But nobody said, we want more arrow. Nobody has said, we want more arrow. But the thing is, when you say that, you have to accept that there will be other parts of the racing experience that will go down. Because we want more passing often doesn't necessarily happen on the track. It happens in the pits. It happens in other places. 
And so what the fans are saying is, well, we want to see passing on the track. Well, that means you got to have the cars be able to be closer to each other, mm -hmm. which means they can't necessarily go as fast. They might not sound as loud. You know, there's all of those things. Well, what Daniel says is that it's hard. Um, he says, I think narrower cars were great. It's like motorbikes. Because they're so narrow, there's always room to get past. And they lap 30 seconds slower than us. I think it proves that it's not necessarily about the lap time. We do need the raceability because that's the spectacle. He says um, he believes that the 2014 version of the cars um, used between 2009 and 2016 were like the sweet spot around racing and lap time. He says they were slow for our standards, but for a spectator, they don't know necessarily that much different. But the racing, you could follow. You could pass. As far as overtakes went, I thought 2014 was good. Aerodynamically, they're very strong now. You see the side pods of the car. There's so many bits. It looks sick. But all it means is that the car behind is going to get pretty messed up. It's at a point now where at Barcelona, we're, we were going fast. Two, turn 2-3 was full. Turn 9 was full. It's impressive, but the faster we go, the harder it's going to be to overtake and the harder it's going to be to follow close. So do we want to see cars doing 1 minute 22 as opposed to 1 minute 25, but not being able to race on Sunday? Or do you want to see slower cars, but they can race? They still need to be fast, but there's a balance. That's the thing is I argue that the casual spectator, the fan you want, mm -hmm can't see the difference between a 1.25 and a 1.22. I agree. And quite frankly, the human eye can only register things at certain speeds. I, I experience this at IndyCar. I like the fact that we can see some of the passing, but I can't read the, the uh, LED the number, screen yeah. on the, the thing. So I don't necessarily know who's in first and who's what's going on or who's battling for what. <clears throat> But I can see enough of the car. So keep in mind that you wanted fast cars. This is what you gave up for fast cars. And, and this is what a lot of folks were saying of you're focusing on it the wrong way. I mean, it's great that you're going to go and you're going to bring the wider tires so that you have the mechanical grip as opposed to the aerodynamic grip. But you changed the arrow so that you negated the benefits of one over the other. And you're not going to make more passing because you increase the arrow right but you decided somewhere you decided we want more passing equaled we want faster cars and that's not the case yeah um and i still hold i will never let this one go that i think the drivers did the sport a big disservice when they use phrases like i was managing the tires or I wasn't able to drive flat out. Or it's too easy. That's the other one. Or it's too easy or whatever. It When you say <clears throat> things like that, you discount. And so people say, okay, well, I want more passing. And then they hear, well, you're not driving flat out, so therefore we have to make the cars faster. Yeah. It, that's not what's going to give you more passing. You've got to have the ability for the cars to ride right up against each other. You want passing, they need to be able to get around them, around the other car, and they have to be able to get close. Well, in a further sign that the message has yet to be heard properly, there are calls to make changes to the circuit at Albert Park to aid in passing. <sighs> Don't change the circuits, change the cars. Right. 
It's that simple. Well, maybe we'll hear a little more about it in the coming week. Uh, this week, the, the one thing that we have really been waiting to hear, not just the F1 TV thing, but just what Liberty's remaining plans were going to be, how they were going to rebrand, rechange, reset the sport. We've Blow seen up the fan experience. Detonate. Detonate the fan experience. You know, at least know your own phrase. No. <laughs> I don't have to get it right. Well, they're going to be releasing, uh, Liberty is going to be releasing their blueprint for the future this week at Bahrain. Uh, we believe that this is going to be around what their proposed rules are. So either we're going to see everybody go, this is awesome, or Ferrari just totally lose it. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. This is supposed to be the engines. It's supposed to be the arrow. It's, I think there's also supposed to be something around the prize money. And, yeah, this is— We could watch Sergio Marchionne's head explode. Possibly. Can we possibly watch Bernie Eccleston's head explode? Um, well, he was once again making the rounds again, talking about how, you know, it was so unfair as to how he was booted out of, for, out of Formula One, and he's, he's been elevated into this great position that's so high up that he can't see what's going on, and <laughs> he doesn't understand why they had to pull out of the office space that he owned and that he was leasing back to them, and, and blah, blah, woof, woof, and why did they need to do all of this other stuff, and he wasn't as bad as they make it out to be. His job was to make money, and that's what he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been making those rounds again. Not to as many journalists. It seems not as many folks are willing Calling to have willing him. to have this conversation. No, my understanding is that the interviews that Bernie has given in the last oh ten months or so since he's been punted from uh, from Liberty isn't because a journalist picked up the phone and said, "Hey, Bernie, do you want to comment on this?" It's because Bernie has picked up the phone and said, "Hey, you want to chat?" Oh, yeah. It's a rough life when you feel marginalized. Huh, bad hair. Yeah. He says he's busier now because he's doing stuff outside of Formula One, and he's not neglecting the hotel that's in Switzerland, and um, he's actually taking an active hand in the coffee farm instead of letting his, his wife handle that. And, and I am sure all of those people are really thrilled that he is more active in their world. Yeah. I hope he's out there picking coffee beans. <laughs> so... As the, the discussions go forward on the blueprint, um, Mercedes in particular, Toto Wolf says that they are not going to be, and, and they're not trying to be an opportunist over the new engine rules, knowing that, you know, this kind of impacts them pretty deep. Um, Toto says that you can't be a super opportunist. That will bite you one day. For us, a change in the engine regulations would even be desirable because we assume that our structure works at Mercedes. To avoid a transformation of performance, we would like to start again from scratch, but that would be expensive. We therefore call for the rules to be more or less maintained. In two years' time, there will only be marginal differences in performance between the now comp competing engine manufacturers. Renault will close up this season, and Honda took a big leap. I don't know what Honda he's looking at. Possibly James, James Hinchcliffe's IndyCar, because it sure as hell wasn't the one that's in the back of the Toro Rosso's. It is possible. Yeah. Hinch has got some feedback on a commercial he did for Honda recently. That's a cute commercial. It is a cute commercial. Um, 
So you got to give him credit for that. That's my only IndyCar connection that I've got this week, by the way. Well, they, 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 they're they in that really long break that they like to take between race one and race two. Yeah. I thought they've had a second race already. No, they haven't. St. Petersburg, and then they take like a month off. <laughs> I know we're six days away from their next race, so we will have another race weekend. of. Is that Barber or is that Long Beach? Um, I didn't look. Okay. But- Anyway, so our last story is that uh, this year the expectation is that lap times at Silverstone will be up to a second faster, if not faster than that. Wow. Um, They resurfaced the track. Wow. Barcelona and Silverstone are going to have new surfaces? Wow. Once again, thanks to MotoGP, ruining stuff for Formula One. (sighs) Dang it, those motorcyclists. (laughs) Yeah, um, I guess MotoGP pushed pretty hard at Silverstone over some of the bumps, and they wanted it smoothed out. Um, they targeted Silverstone pretty hard to clean up the issues at the track mm-hmm. uh, with the surface. Um, so Silverstone decided that, you know what, we've got the time, we've got the money. Instead of just going and dealing with some of the bumps, we'll do a full track surface overhaul. Um, they did that this past February. The surface hadn't been relayed since '96. Okay. So they, which honestly isn't all that long ago, for a racetrack road surface. I think the one at Barcelona was around for a lot longer. Uh, probably, but that's still 22 years. It is. Um, he's Stuart Pringle, who's the managing director at Silverstone, said that the surface was looking a bit patchwork, so we decided to resurface the whole thing while we had the chance, and we have gone for the best surface we can. Some of the bumps have been removed, too, and we were looking at a lap time gain of about one second per lap for an F1 car. But all the categories that compete on the GP track will be able to circulate at lap record pace, and it will offer more grip in the wet as well, which is great because the tires don't seem to do that in Formula One. <laughs> well, I wonder how Lewis will like having a new lap record at Silverstone. Well, we'll see how that works. Uh, you know, nobody seems to really like it when they do a whole scale resurfacing of the track. True. Well, we'll see what happens. It also looks like the hyper soft tires are coming to Monaco. Yeah, which I believe is a race before they were in, they were supposed to go to Canada, right? I think so. And now they're coming out in Monaco. But I think we we have seen the super softs there a lot too because the speeds are so much slower. They don't put they don't beat the tires quite as much. I think. Yes, I don't know. But the hyper softs. The yeah. Beyond Ultrasofts. This is Snuggle Bear Plus super, in their baby pink color. Super ultra plush. Yes. They're super snuggy. Yeah. Um, they will, however, match beautifully with the Force India paint job. It will be a <laughs> color coordination effort that will be off the charts. Talk about excellent sponsorship opportunity. I know. Baby pink tires. So as a reminder, once Fantasy GP comes up on Monday, April 2nd, get your predictions locked in before Friday evening. Is it Friday evening? I thought it was Thursday evening, but it's towards the end of the week. Yeah. Well, get them in. Get them in. Get yourself set up, and uh, 
other than that. If you do team shifts or changes because, you know, you chose poorly on your team, you need to make an update. I think it's still too early to, to do that just yet. Unless, of course, you selected Toro Rosso and, and Brennan Hartley. Then then it might be time to, to make a change because guess what? The Hondas still suck. Well, Surprise! I mean, if you possibly picked Sergey Sorokin on your team, you may you know want to trade any of the him Williams. Off. Um, yeah, you might want to you might want to do something. Did, like did that. you pick a Williams? I did not. Okay. I did not. Nope. I spent my money in my team cars, though, not on my drivers. So uh. I want to look and see what I've got there. See if anybody's made me some money to see if I can trade up. Okay. Well, on that note, have a happy Easter. Hopefully where some of you are, you're actually getting spring because it sure as heck ain't happening here. We're getting snow. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break, <laughs> a little break. <laughs>